You are listening to the Balkan Bread Podcast. This is a podcast created to connect diaspora worldwide by sharing each other's stories. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Balkan Bread podcast. My name is Amina and thank you guys so much for being here. I have another Balkan boss babe on the episode today. I'm super excited. You guys have probably seen me post about her company before with all of my photos of the rosé from Mostar because I'm just obsessed with it. So I'm super excited. I have my friend Indira from Wines of Illyria here today. So welcome to the podcast, Indira. If you want to introduce yourself to our listeners and yeah, just tell us a little bit more about what you do. Hi, Amina and everybody. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast, Amina. It is my honor to take part in your efforts to keep Bosnian culture alive in the U.S. That's exactly what you're doing and how I see that. Uh, There's so much positive to tell about Bosnia and Herzegovina to all of Bosnian Americans and all of our friends and family members. So I, I, that's exactly what I am also doing is painting a positive picture about our country here in the U.S. Uh, there's so much, so much to tell to people to include thousands of years long history of winemaking in the Balkans um, uh, dating back to ancient Illyrian times. Um, so again, um, to, to start maybe to introduce myself a little bit, I am, um, former uh, banker. I was in banking industry for about 20 years. Um, teacher, speaker, U.S. diplomat for a while, entrepreneur, my biggest title, I feel, is like I'm a Bosnian ambassador here in the U.S. Um, I'm a mom, wife, daughter, sister. A lot of different, a lot of different hats to wear, definitely. And I, I think that's awesome, especially because a lot of the guests that we've had on the podcast before have been a lot younger, and you know, myself included, we don't have a lot of experience in you know these different different kind of industries and just with changing careers and all of this, you know, kind of stuff. So it's going to be really interesting just to hear about, you know, your personal experiences and just talking more about your business, because I think what you do is really incredible. So when did you first become interested in starting Wines of Illyria and how did you put your plan into action? So ever since I immigrated to the States in 1996, um, I started working for Bank of America, small business banking, and ideas to have my own uh, small business were flying through my mind all the time. I saw opportunities for business everywhere. Coming from the former Yugoslavia, where more companies were state-owned huge employers, People worked all their life for one company and lived in one place. 
I was just mesmerized with a variety of small businesses here in the U.S. Uh, and opportunities the U.S. system provided to entrepreneurs. Unlike home, the way of living in the U.S. was so different to me. I couldn't believe how often people moved around. They would quit one job, start another, moved across the country from the East Coast to West Coast and back. They sold their home, negotiated a higher salary, ran a little businesses on the side of their daily job. Such, such dynamic society, totally different than former Yugoslavia, where I, I grew up at. So I was 29 years old when I came to the States, and I spoke zero English. That was, my, that was the first challenge for me that I had to overcome. I had to learn the language and re-educate myself all over again from scratch. While working on the teller line at, at Bank of America, that's where I, I started, even though I already had a um, degree in, in commercial business from back home, I had to start from scratch and, and uh, build career from, from the bottom, from the teller line. Um, I, I started um, going to school at night, worked during the day, and started taking first uh, English as a second language basic courses. Um, then later I wanted, because I was in banking industry at home, worked for uh, the largest bank at that time in, in Yugoslavia, Belgradska Banka. Um, I was taking American Institute of Banking courses to learn the banking vocabulary. And then I realized that I really need to go back to school again to get my undergrad uh, degree because even after evaluating my diploma from Yugoslavia, I, I got very little credits and realized that really unless I get my diploma here again in the US, it's not gonna help me much. So I proceeded to go to school after completing all these ESL classes. Um, I signed up for, took a test and was accepted and uh, finished my un undergrad uh, in business administration. And then later I got my MBA degree as well. Um, yes, so studying and, and learning all the time um, while working full-time um, job during the day. So I think it's interesting how you mentioned, it's funny actually, what a coincidence, Bank of America. My mom actually, she worked as a teller at Bank of America. Um, she had so many different jobs, especially during the recession while that was going on. And that was only like one of the jobs that she could get. So I think that's really interesting. And learning English too, that's something my parents, they also came, um, earlier on so a lot of my friends and their families they came after like 2001 to the united states my parents were here in 1994 so they left bosnia like relatively early um, they were lucky in that sense and i think they definitely had an advantage so i know for a fact they took the english classes when they were in seattle they had some kind of free classes for refugees that they could take at the time but one thing that they always kind of 
I guess, promised themselves is that later on, like they didn't want to work with a bunch of Bosnians in the beginning because they knew that they would never learn the language um, unless obviously if you're committed and taking those classes at night. But um, that was one of the things. And of course, my dad did work um, doing like construction and things like that in the beginning. But, you know, later on, it was a matter of, I think, them learning English, like, earlier on definitely played an advantage in terms of, you know, just their career and what kinds of jobs they were able to get and things like that. So, um, but really amazing and just inspiring and really cool how many places you ended up. So after, you know, completing your graduate, your MBA and everything, that obviously took a while. And then you found yourself working at the American Embassy in Bosnia. So do you want to walk us through that a little bit more? Yes, absolutely. I, I love talking about that. Actually, that was the, the chain, changer of my life course, I, I believe. So yes, I was doing really well in the US. I loved my banking career. I was uh, I became within eight years, uh, started at the teller line and became vice president for small business banking division. So really loved my new country, loved how my foreign accent was not really standing in my way to advance in my career because Bank of America really recognized my hard work and kept promoting me every year or every other year to a next higher level position. 20 years later after I left Bosnia, so it was in 2005, I got opportunity to and got a job for the US Department of State Foreign Service and was assigned to work at the American Embassy in Sarajevo. I worked for the economic section and loved being back um, in, in Bosnia, in Sarajevo, close to my parents and uh, feeling like I really belong there. The biggest really issue that I, as economist, so was um, overall unemployment in Bosnia was 43%. Youth unemployment at that time was 69%. Um, the, everybody was talking about brain drain and I actually have witnessed that uh, because I ended up teaching some finance and accounting courses at night at the American Embassy, American University of Bosnia and Herzegovina and talking with my students. All of them were talking about getting four-year degree, uh, getting Bosnian and American diploma through this program and everyone was planning on, on moving to the state, leaving Bosnia mm -hmm. uh, and pursuing higher education in the States. And I knew they would never return because there was no opportunities in Bosnia for them. There's no jobs. Um, I, I wanted to, to tell them that yes, US is great. It has a lot of opportunities, but I really believe that we can create opportunities um, back home in Bosnia for young people. And so I thought really the easiest way would be to open US markets for something that they can produce in Bosnia and Herzegovina. 
U.S. market is really the most powerful. Uh, people can buy things and opening, creating demand here for products from Bosnia would translate into creating jobs, stopping young people from leaving, uh, because nobody wants to leave their own, their roots and, and their, the place that they feel like they, they belong to. So that's the, the idea for starting my own business and start importing something from Bosnia. And at that time, really uh, a little bit of a funny story, I looked into what Bosnia can export. And it was potatoes, honey, and wine, the three, <laughs> yeah. three products. <laughs> so I was not gonna export potatoes from Bosnia back to America because they came, potatoes are actually, uh, they came from Americas to Europe. Um, honey, uh, yes, Bosnia produces a lot of honey and really high quality, but it's all consumed um, within the country. There's no enough for export. It was not at that time. Maybe, maybe there's potential in that industry now. And I, I knew we have always made wine, but I really didn't know the details didn't know much about wine industry and when I started looking into it and researching it I felt like that's a perfect industry to start with because nobody was importing wines from Bosnia and Herzegovina. I know when my family and friends and other Americans that were working with me at the at the embassy in Sarajevo they all were really impressed with the quality quality of wine and I said well that's it so that's the product let me look into how hard it is how easy it is um, to import it and I proceeded um, to work on that very cool did, did you find that you had um already just from working there did you have a lot of connections established with you know i guess different um wineries or people that were in that industry already or was it hard for you to kind of get connected with those people well i have working so again i worked at the uh, American Embassy in Bosnia for four years and have met a lot of people. And especially when I decided to start um, the, the wine export and wine import to the US from Bosnia, I, I met, I visited all the wineries, um, met them, we talked about mm -hmm. um, where they are currently exporting um, would they be interested in starting to export to the U.S.? And of course, everybody, everybody was uh, really open to the idea and excited that somebody would would bring their products to the states. Yeah, awesome. That's really cool, and I think that's that's great. And it's great how you mentioned the, you know, three different main things that you can export from Bosnia. So obviously, you know zeroing in on that one product that I think people are interested on, you know, like 
you mentioned honey. And so that's definitely something 100% that is just really consumed in the country. I know my grandpa, he's actually a beekeeper, so knows very well. Um, but it would be hard to kind of turn that into something that you can bring to the States. But I think wine is a really cool opportunity. So with the wine industry and obviously just, you know, being a female business owner is already hard enough in itself, but when you're in a male dominated industry, you know, what are some of the challenges that you faced in particular and what advice do you have for women who are maybe facing discrimination in their respective careers? So they don't necessarily, you know, have a business or maybe even want to start a business, but I've noticed that in just, you know, different career paths that people take, it can be really hard for people to take you seriously, you know, because you're a woman. And then sometimes in cases, because, you know, you just happen to have an accent and people automatically kind of think, not everybody, but I've seen this happen um, before. So yeah, just what pieces of advice do you have and what are some things that you've gone through? Um, since you're mentioning um, the the male-dominated businesses and well, women entrepreneurship, I I like to talk about that. I think there is uh, there is still inequality when it comes to when you're comparing uh, women in business and men in business, uh, and because of our uh, the way we we were raised everybody not not only bosnians not but everywhere in the world actually yeah. uh, it, it used to uh, men used to own businesses uh, men uh, knew how to network and close the deal and 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 create uh, take care of their family make money and take care of their family they they, they were the breadwinners so when I started uh, this wine import and distribution business, I, I really realized, and, and I'm seeing this still all the time, that it is totally man-dominated business, that I import wine and I sell it either to distributors, meaning companies that have licenses to sell in each state, or for the states that I have my own license, like in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, I, I can sell wine to any company that has retail license, uh, meaning retail wine stores, uh, wine and liquor stores, hotels, um, restaurants, bars, anybody that can sell to public. So most of those businesses really still are owned by, by men. And um, unfortunately, I came across many men that did not take me seriously uh, and did not buy wine from me when I offered it. Um, they they uh, asked me, I was asked so many times, oh, is this my hobby or this is a, uh, my full-time job? And so when I, when I do explain that this is my business, this is my full-time job, then yes, they take me a little, uh, you know, it, a little more seriously and they actually give me a business. But I feel that there's, there's a, some kind of uh, glass barrier uh, still, and I'm working to, to break that. So 
there are opportunities for women out there um, and, and we need to find our space um, in, in the business world. Uh, research actually shows that, that female-owned businesses are less successful than male-owned businesses for, for several reasons. Um, they have less startup capital usually. Uh, they, they have less business human capital um, acquired through prior work experience uh, in a similar business. Um, less uh, prior work experience in a family business also. Um, until the early 1960s, women could not even eat at restaurants. Um, sounds funny now, but that's the truth. And, and it's, 1960 was not that long ago. Uh, like, especially at lunchtime when men had to uh, have lunch, lunch meetings, they didn't want women meet, uh, chatting and being loud and disrupting these business meetings. Um, women also could not work on, in restaurants or, or bars unless they were daughters or of uh, bar or, or restaurant owners. I think female business owners um, many times work fewer hours also, and that's another reason why uh, we're not as successful as we could be, um, because they, they do uh, have to share, um, balance work and family. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time women are the primary um, caregivers to, to children, our children, but also elderly uh, members of the family if we need to take care of them. I think definitely like what you mentioned, you know, about how women should be stepping into their power a little bit more. And, you know, it's not something that has been done for a long time, but I think there's still a huge opportunity there. And I think part of it is really just educating yourself and knowing kind of all the ins and outs of owning a business. I think when you have that knowledge and you have that education and you you know how to pay your taxes, you know how to set up an LLC, like you know how to do all of these things, that gives you so much power and it doesn't matter you know, what your gender is, like, as long as you know that, you know what you're doing, um, you know, everything is pretty much following all the guidelines, then, you know, why should it matter? And if someone questions you, you know, just educating yourself and knowing how to answer those questions, I think is important. And also taking yourself seriously and taking what you're doing seriously, because I know when I first started Balkan Bread and just selling the shirts and everything, I had gone through a lot just after graduating college and then I didn't go into a full-time job right away like a lot of other you know Bosnians um, I guess in this area are just like family friends and things like that and of course I was dealing with stuff with my dad and this was just kind of another way for me to make money but also to really get connected with other diaspora and I remember just talking about it and saying like oh yeah, you know, I'm just printing shirts or I'm just selling this or whatever. And people would just kind of, you know, look at me and go, oh, you know, that that's cute. Like, that's cool. But like my daughter is an accountant and I'm like, okay, that's great. <laughs> but like, you know, I just, it's like, it's hard for people to take you seriously because you're like, oh, I have this idea and it's going to be huge. And you know in yourself what you want that to look like, but it's a matter of being able to communicate that to other people to where, they can start to take you seriously because 
if you're not taking your business seriously and if you're not 100% there, like, you know, with your passion and what you're doing, then nobody's going to take you seriously. So I think it's a matter of just kind of standing your ground and yeah, just kind of stepping into your power and you'll learn a lot just from, you know, experience and doing all kinds of things. So I think those are really great points to mention. I just wanted to add a couple more things, Amina, if you don't mind, uh, back to uh, starting a business and, and things that I could maybe share with other people that are listening. But I am right now 53 years old. I just started this four and a half years ago. I really had always these ideas about starting my own business, but really could not afford it. So I want to tell everybody, please don't feel like it's too late to start your own business. So I was 49 when I started. So I feel like I'm just starting and I have plenty of time to develop it and make it really significant the way where I want it to see. So don't be afraid. Um, you're not too young or too old to start a business. If you feel like your business um, is needed and, and you think you can solve somebody's problem by offering them um, a solution um, then, uh, or, or giving them something that they need, like people couldn't buy Bosnian wine before in here, now wines of Illyria can provide that exactly. um also don't be afraid i think oh, like alcohol industry is probably the most difficult and the hardest industry the most regulated in the u.s uh so i really couldn't afford to pay attorney to help me with all the licensing and stuff so I did, when I decided to do that to start importing wine, I went on Tobacco and Trade Bureau site and learned all about how to get licensed, how to file taxes, what all requirements there are, and I got my own paperwork in and got licenses approved. And so you can do. There's resources out there, and I'll be glad to teach anybody that's interested in starting the same business. I'll be happy to be your mentor. Um, starting and running a business takes a lot of resources, really. Um, it takes some financial resources, but human resources, educational, emotional, and physical resources. You need to build your support system as you will need it. So, so your support system is your family, your friends, your potential partners maybe so also also a thing to do really is to build a dream team for your business so, so in the first phase you probably will be all alone and doing it on your own but you will come to the point as as you grow your business that you will need business partners and so uh look for special people that will fit perfectly in 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 your uh, business and help you take it to the next level so those are just a couple of things that i i wanted to um mention i didn't want to forget yeah 
And I think that, no, that's awesome because that's the thing. People are so afraid to start, but it's really, it's never too late. And I think, you know, you do have to surround yourself with supportive people. Like that's a good thing to mention too. It's like, not only do you have to have all of these other resources, like financially, I think that's the first thing people think of is, oh, well, how much is it going to cost for me to get started? And it's going to vary depending on the industry and what kind of business you want to start. You know, certain industries, you're going to have to do more work, like talking about the regulations and things like that versus, you know, starting something that is a little bit on, you know, a different industry or a smaller scale. So yes, I think that's awesome. And thank you for mentioning that. I will have everything, um, all of your links and information in the show notes. So that way, everyone listening can find you. So um, moving on to the next question, what is your favorite thing about selling wine? I'll tell you, I feel so proud when people here in the U.S. taste wines from Bosnia and Herzegovina and are wowed with the quality and so surprised uh, how competitively priced these wines are. I import only premium quality wines that Bosnia and Herzegovina makes. As in my opinion, I could not put my country on the map of well-known producing wine countries with table wines or mid-range quality wines because we, we do have three different quality of wines in in Bosnia and Herzegovina and most of the most of the um, Balkan countries, including also Germany and um, Austria. So the the quality of wine, uh, consumers are really protected in in those countries. When you see this designation of quality on, on each bottle of wine, then you know what quality of wine you're buying. So state-owned laboratory actually determine if the wine is verhunsko, meaning premium quality, kvalitetno, meaning mid-range, like everyday wine, or uh, stono is the table quality wine. So um, the, the winemaker actually doesn't make that decision to put verhunsko on their, on their wine label. It's they have to get approval from the state-owned authorities to mm -hmm. print that on their label. So if you're in Bosnia and Herzegovina in the store that sells wine and you see Verhunsko word on the label, you probably um, are going to like any of those wines from any winemaker because they have to meet certain parameters. So here in the States, it's not the case. And... Um, when I was creating my uh, Wines of Illyria labels originally, I did not print Verhunsko because that wouldn't mean anything to in the U.S. for the U.S. consumers. But now the more education I'm doing and more educating people in the U.S. on, on our wines and the, the wine industry, I'm telling them about this special, about this, uh, the, the quality designations and so in the future, when I print labels, I will, add, uh, I will add those designations just as a point of reference so I can talk about that and, and educate people about that. So 
Let's see what else. But uh, back to the question, Amina. I'm sorry. There's so much to tell. I'm so excited about the school yeah. industry and and um, putting Bosnia on the map and and teaching people about Bosnian wines. Um, so to advertise wines, I import, uh, I attend wine shows, wine festivals, and um, like educational seminars uh, as the way to have large numbers of people taste um, these new varieties uh, from Bosnia and Herzegovina and, and other Balkan countries. It feels great when those people, after tasting hundreds of wines because usually there are more vendors uh, at these wine festivals they come back and tell me hey we came back to tell you that your wines are the best today of all these wines presented here and that doesn't happen did not happen once it happens all the time so i'm so proud of the the quality of wines that i bring from from my country and and love talking about that yeah i mean that's awesome and it's it's great to know like you have to be confident in what you're selling and if you're proud of your product and all the little pieces and parts that go into creating you know this bottle of wine other people are going to see that and they're going to be just as happy and just as excited as you are about what you're selling so i think that's really important and also talking about the different distinctions on the quality of wine, you know, that is important. That's something that I didn't really ever pay attention to or know even just like back home. So there's a lot that goes into it, just making one bottle. Um, I know you talked a little bit more about, you know, the labeling and the quality, but in terms of just the process behind how each bottle is made and crafted, you know, what goes into that? Or can you give us, I guess, there is a lot that goes into that, but I guess like a short kind of um, consensus of it. Sure, of course. Uh, so quality of wine depends on climate, terroir, um, elevation, wind, rain, and much work in the vineyard, actually. So Herzegovina, uh, southern part of Bosnia and Herzegovina, is the the wine region. It's it's perfectly positioned between Dinaric Alps on the north and Adriatic Sea, which is part of Mediterranean Sea, um, on the south side. The, the Herzegovina region has Mediterranean climate uh, with about 280 sunny days during the, the, the year. Uh, has a little bit, very little rain, uh, lots of lime rock terrains that uh, grapes actually thrive in. Winemakers in Bosnia uh, employ modern technologies of winemaking while keeping old traditions in place. Uh, they use different techno uh, techniques to control the quality of, of wine they produce as they're very interested in becoming well-known in wine producing worlds, just like their neighbor Italy is. So wines of Illyria wines are made from hand-picked bunches of grapes from the best parts of the vineyards. So the quality control starts in the spring when winemakers prune wines, actually, the plants. So they, 
each plant in the spring has a lot of shoots, new new growth, but they leave uh, two, only two, or some sometimes only one young shoot on each plant and remove the rest. Uh, so what does that mean? So the less fruit uh, is produced in on one plant, the higher concentration of flavors in the wine and the higher the quality of wine. So that's one way to control the how much fruit one plant produces, gives. Mm -hmm. Then later there's fermentation, aging and storing of wine and wineries in Bosnia and Herzegovina use, use usually Bosnian oak. Some people call it Hungarian or Slavonian, but that's the same actually oak. And they, uh, it's not as, uh, as oaky as like French oak or American oak. Uh, also like wines of Illyria wines are cleansed with clay, which uh, that's really the, the old way of, of cleansing wine and the old and natural way. So these wines are considered vegan if anybody's interested in that. Um, also, most wineries use natural yeast to start fermentation, which is the process of turning all the sugar from, from fruit into alcohol. And the wines are usually about 13% of alcohol from, from that climate if they're done properly. Um, all of this takes more effort and makes wine um, higher quality and naturally produced without any chemicals nor additives. There is so much that goes into it. And luckily we have this climate and we have, you know, all of the resources to make this incredible wine. I think that's something that's really special and gets kind of overlooked. Um, it's something that is definitely popping up more on the map. And just in general, I think tourism is definitely, you know, obviously not now with what's happening, but just in general, it's going up and a lot more people are visiting. Bosnia and they're going to do these different wine tastings, um, these different vineyards and wineries and things like that. It's really cool. It's really interesting to me, especially people who, you know, they don't know anything about the country and they're just going and trying out all of the wine. And it's great that, you know, with your company, you're able to bring that little piece back here to um, you know, the states where you're based and have that for everyone who's here. It's like we were talking about this before we actually started recording the podcast, but um, I actually tried some of the wine. And of course, as I mentioned, the rosé was my favorite so far, but it's different when you open, you know, this bottle of wine versus me going to like Publix or Kroger, the grocery store and just getting a bottle or even the liquor store it's totally different because it's like you're opening it and you're having like this, like you feel like you're back home when you're drinking, I don't know, the wine. That's how I felt at least. So you guys definitely need to try the wine. Um, it's, it's really, really good. So that's awesome. Um, thank you for just describing the process and everything like that. Um, and then just to kind of wrap up the episode. So what are some of your long-term goals for your business? So definitely my goal is to put Bosnia and Herzegovina and the rest of the Balkan countries on the map of well-known wine producing regions because the 
winemaking in that area dates back thousands of years ago, uh, all the way to uh, ancient Illyrian times. That's why I picked um, the name of the company is Wines of Illyria. And on my labels, there's a map of ancient Illyria. And the reason behind that is I, uh, the, the article that I read about discovery of Illyrian ship and amphoras in 2007 in Hutovoblato, archaeologists actually found 473, I believe that's correct number, uh, amphoras that carried wine. And that was really significant uh, moment for Bosnian wine history and proof that we made wine that long ago. And they believe maybe that the ship was full of wine probably to sail it to Northern Europe to sell it. So all through history, we've been making wine. So I really want to educate American public and especially young Bosnian and Balkan Americans uh, about, about this history. And hopefully I would like to, within five years from now, have representation and these wines available in every state here in the United States and hopefully Canada possibly because I, I get requests from people in Canada to, to ship them wine up there. Um, the, the way I, if you are uh, buying wine, uh, the best way it would help me if you in your local store where you're purchasing wine can ask, hey, can you, do you have Bosnian wine? And can you get Bosnian wine? And if they say, well, we don't have any, ask them what distributor would be perfect to carry wines like that. And, and connect me with those uh, people, please. So I would love to uh, see Wines of Illyria uh, in all states soon. Right now, I am in uh, 10 states. And you can find all this information as far as where the wines are available on my website, uh, winesofillyria.com. But also please follow me on, on Instagram and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and other social media. That's awesome. I love that. And I think that's a really, a really great thing for people to pay attention to when they go to the store is just asking and looking and seeing and, you know, getting like the business card of different local stores, even if it's like a Balkan grocery store or something um, that can definitely help out, you know, in terms of just having them carry the wine. I think that's really great. And that's a great goal and it's amazing just to see everything that you've accomplished already and I'm sure there's you know so many other hurdles and different things that you've already overcome of course we don't have the time to talk about every single one of them on the episode but just thinking about everything that you've done up until this point I think is really incredible and for everyone listening, I hope this inspired you that, you know, it's really never too late to put your idea into action, whatever it is that you want to start and don't feel intimidated, you know, do your research and get connected with people who are already out there doing what you want to do, because at the end of the day, those are the people who are going to help you and you're going to start to see 
how you can differentiate yourself and how you can stand out among, you know, different competitors that are already in your industry. So very cool. Um, as Indira mentioned, I will go ahead and have all of her information in the show notes for this podcast episode. So if you're looking to purchase some of her wine, all of the information will be there as well as if you're looking for a location that actually sells the wine in store, we'll have a link to take a look at that. And then Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, email, phone number, all that good stuff will be in the show notes. So with that being said, um, thank you so much Indira for being on our podcast. You're welcome, Amina. Uh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And you, you, if you are uh, interested in trying wines, please contact me for I can ship a case of mixed wines to uh, any state, um, wherever you are. Thank you for your time, and I wish you all the best. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, if you're interested in being featured on an upcoming episode, or if you know of somebody that would be a perfect guest, definitely send us an email. It's hello at balkanbread.com. Also, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure to take a screenshot of the episode, share it to your Instagram story, and be sure to tag us. It's at balkanbread so we can see what your thoughts are on the episode. So thank you guys again for listening, and we will talk to you next week.